0: evidence and answers Do modern scientific discoveries build a case against an intelligent designer or does it build a case for an intelligent designer Can a person be serious about the biblical teaching on creation and serious about science You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host Pat Zukren Pat is an author teacher and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics the defense of the christian faith the last time we were together pat and his guest scientist and evidence and Answers staff member dr evan kawamura began a discussion about how the modern discoveries of science actually build a case for the genesis creation account remember if you missed any part of this broadcast head on over to our website That's evidenceandanswers.org. And look up Intelligent Design. You can download it or listen online. Now, let's conclude this informative interview.
1: Also, one of the strongest evidence for the existence of God is the origin of the universe. Now, explain to us some of the ideas and theories about the origin of the universe.
2: Yeah, so there are many different ideas and theories. So there's the one that I think everyone's heard about. That's the Big Bang Theory. There's a big explosion with all the mass at one point, and it will expand it out super hot in the beginning. There's the weak anthropic principle, which kind of doesn't explain why the universe exists. There's the redshift, which Hubble discovered as the stars are getting farther away from the center of the universe. So it shows the universe is expanding. There's a steady state theory where everything will kind of s- slow down and nothing will stop, and the motion of the universe will stop at some point. There's the oscillation theory where there's an expansion and it reaches some amount of big length and then it'll contract to get smaller again. So it expands and then shrinks, kind of like an accordion.
1: Right. Now, what is your assessment of these theories? Do they adequately explain the origin of the universe?
2: Yeah, so if you look at the weak anthropic principle, it doesn't really answer the main question. So it basically says that the universe might be observed And it's limited by the fact that our observation requires existence of observers or people. So it's impossible to observe a universe that does not allow the existence of observers. So only a universe that allows existence of observers could be observed. But it's kind of like, well, I mean, you can observe a universe because it has observers. It has us inside of it. It has life. But it doesn't really explain why life exists. So it's kind of confusing and circular. It doesn't really answer the question of, well, how come the universe is finely tuned? It kind of just avoids the harder and deeper questions. It's sort of like if you were to bake a cake for someone's birthday. You can gather all the ingredients. You measure them exactly at the right proportions. You mix them all together. You throw it into the oven. You bake it. And then after it comes out, you might add frosting, other toppings. And finally, you have a birthday cake and you get it ready for everybody to eat they enjoy it, they ask you for the recipe because they want you to know, how did you make such a delicious cake? And then you would say, well, it just exists and it's delicious because you saw it, you ate it and you knew it was good. But you didn't really answer the question of what's the recipe. So of course, your audience, the guys who ate your awesome delicious cake, they're left disappointed and confused that they didn't get the recipe. When you did have the recipe, you could have told them. So you really help them out and you give them the answer. You can also mention like how your recipe was finally tuned to get all the right ingredients to give them that delicious birthday cake. And so now they don't know. So they're like, why was it so delicious? What were the ingredients? Where can I find the recipe? Because I didn't get it. And then of course, the same thing for the universe is why is the universe finally tuned? What is the origin of life? So it doesn't really answer those questions.
1: Uh, you mentioned another one here, the steady state theory. Now explain that one to us in more detail and why that is not an adequate explanation for the origin of the universe
2: yeah a long time ago it was an alternative theory to the big bang theory but it's now obsolete by even the cyclists so it states that the universe is infinite it's some amount of constant and it doesn't have any large-scale changes over time so it allows small-scale changes like the birth or death of a star and it of course allows new galaxies to be born And so it has to maintain some average distance between galaxies, and that's going to be constant. And so there's different regions in the universe at any point of time, and they're all kind of at this constant value or constant average density. And so there's an average density of the universe, an average distance between galaxies, an average brightness of galaxies, and then the speed that the galaxies are moving away varies at some distance. But this is not really viable anymore because of something called cosmic microwave background radiation, which is an aftermath of the Big Bang theory. So Stephen Hawking, a very well-known physicist, he buried the steady state theory when he said the steady state theory was what Karl Popper would call a good scientific theory. It made definite predictions which could be tested by observation and possibly falsified. Unfortunately for the theory, they were falsified. So secularist Stephen Hawking said, no, this can't be true. And so if secularists said it, then Christians can also agree with that part.
1: Yes, and then let's take a look at the other one you stated, the oscillation theory. Tell us about that one and why, you know, some of the weaknesses of the oscillation theory.
2: Yeah, so this theory says that universe has an expansion and it also has a contraction. So there's a big bang, an expansion, then at the end, it has a big crunch, a big contraction. Like the accordion, it reaches a fixed length, you let go, and then it kind of squeezes, collapses back on itself. So the Big Bang says that the universe was initially tightly dense and super hot before exploding and expanding. And the Big Crunch says the universe will have this massive collapse. But cosmic background radiation shows the universe expanding. So you need like a big freeze or a heat death instead of a big crunch. Everything would be like super cold. But in thermodynamics says that all the energy and the matter in the universe cannot be created or destroyed. So that kind of matches the Big Freeze or heat death. So everything kind of changes energy. You get an energy conversion. Everything goes from hot to cold. And so that's okay. But then if you had this oscillation theory, you take like a rubber band or accordion, you have a big bang, it expands, you let go, and it snaps back into a condensed form, the big crunch. Well, if you keep on stretching the rubber band, it's eventually going to break. And it's not going to be able to return its original form. So even if this big crunch happened, I don't think it would be good to confirm the theory. And we would definitely not be around.
1: Yeah, I think from what I read, most scientists think there's not enough mass, I believe, to pull the universe back together. It's like you said, kind of a firecracker. just going to expand and just kind of die a slow heat death or freeze. Also, there's not enough energy for it to continually contract and go back, contract and go back. Uh, Is that what you're saying here with this oscillation theory?
2: Yeah, that is exactly what theory is talking about you have these oscillations or kind of like a wave at the beach. You're at the beach and the waves come onto the shore, they go back and come onto shore, go back. And it just repeats this process. But there's not enough energy for that to happen, nor the mass, as you mentioned, correct?
1: Now, what about the Big Bang Theory then? You know, the Big Bang Theory is one of the most popular ones out there. And it's one I don't think Christians should really be afraid of because basically it's telling you that the universe has a beginning. If the universe has a beginning, then it must have a cause, the law of causality, and you've got to identify that cause, and that cause has to be greater than the universe. So actually, I really don't think that's a theory that Christians need to be afraid of because it tells us the universe is not eternal, as you know scientists for several centuries thought. It actually has a beginning. And so now if the universe does have a beginning, you've got to identify that cause. And I think the God of Genesis 1-1 is a very, you know, one of the best candidates for the origin of the universe.
2: Would you agree? We can agree that the universe has a beginning based on the Big Bang Theory. But ultimately in the creation account in Genesis, everything in Genesis is cold in the beginning or not even burning hot. The Big Bang implies the opposite. Things are really hot, super high pressure, too, super high temperature, and there's a big expansion. So, that part we don't agree on. But the idea that the origin had to be there, there was a beginning that we can agree on for sure.
1: Have you stated none of these theories maybe adequately
2: explain the
1: origin of the universe? How would you explain the origin of the universe?
2: Yeah, so if we're looking at the biblical principles and creation, it says that God created everything in six days and rested on seven. So you can read this in Genesis 1. tells you all, every single day he creates something, then he rests, and then the next day he creates something else. And then in chapter 2, he summarizes what happened.
1: All right, so Evan, what are the connotations or follow-up questions if intelligent design is real or accurate?
2: Yeah, I think one is like, can we interact or communicate with the intelligent designer So there is a movie called Prometheus. I think it came out in 2012 or something. And so they wanted to find the origin of life or the creator of man. So that movie, the aliens would be the intelligent designer. I think another question would be how many intelligent designers are there? doesn't mean there's just one. There could be more than one. We don't know. What kind of technology do they have access to that we don't have access to? I think we have the internet, we have smartphones, we have nuclear power. These are all great. But in like Star Trek, there's the first contact movie where they had warp speed. So maybe intelligent designers have something like that, something that we do not. I think the last question is, you know, what's more feasible to believe in that God or aliens created the universe?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say that, you know, the law of cause and effect, every cause has an effect, every effect has a cause, and no effect is greater than its cause. So whatever created the universe is greater than the universe. Whatever created time is greater than time. Whatever created this universe is incredibly powerful and incredibly intelligent. So I'm going to say that God is a much more reasonable answer than to have created the universe than some kind of alien and i'm gonna say when you look at the literature throughout the scientific world and i think if you look at the literature in the other religions you know such as hinduism and others i think genesis 1 1 the god of genesis 1 1 is your best candidate here yep absolutely well now evan the more scientific research we are doing in my opinion I think the evidence for intelligent design continues to mount because we're learning just how fine-tuned the universe around us is from our solar system to the forces in the universe to even microbiology. When you study the complexity of the nucleus of a cell, the nucleus of a cell is more complex than the city of Los Angeles. It seems like the more and more As we gather more and more scientific data, we're learning just how fine-tuned the universe around us is. And it seems to me the evidence for intelligent design continues to mount because, as you stated at the beginning of the show, the odds, you know, the statistical odds of something like the human eye even or the human ear just coming together by chance or, you know, the planets, it, it just, the odds seem to continue to grow and grow and grow to the point where it's almost a mathematical impossibility. I mean, it's getting ridiculous, these statistical odds. Is that what you're seeing in your research there as you study the universe?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's ironic that we as engineers, sometimes we go to nature for design principles Mm. and for inspiration. I mean, no one can beat God in designing anything. And so it's a blessing and it's an awesome tribute to God that we are basing designs, principles, theories, ideas based on his creation and his design. I think we can't beat that. And so it makes sense to use what he's already given us.
1: Wow, you bring up a really interesting point. Could you give us a few examples? I mean, hopefully you're not giving away any top secret information, but can you give us some examples here of how we use what we see in nature in designing things that we have today?
2: Yeah, there are things like... Boston Dynamics, they have these massive robots that are like the size of humans and they kind of walk like that. There are also things like they have these robotic fish which move just like the fish. They have drones with flapping wings like birds. They have like micro robotics that got inspiration from plankton. And there's many different other kinds, but these are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head right now.
1: Yes. Now, as an engineer, you know, how do you approach science maybe a little differently from, say, a chemist or a biologist out there?
2: Yeah, engineering is all about solving problems to real-world applications, right? And chemistry, biology, they answer a lot of great questions, but sometimes it's hard to relate to, sometimes it's not practical. And so from an engineering perspective, I try to find something that's practical, something meaningful that directly affects us. Like, it's cool to know how much the mass of a proton is, but it doesn't affect me directly. Or like, the DNA has four letters in its alphabet, but it doesn't affect me directly. But if you look at the stats for the math and the probability of how you are extremely fine-tuned and designed, well, now it's really personal. Yeah.
1: Wow. So, Evan, you know, it's been great having you on the show. And I'm sure we'll hear from you in the future as you begin to speak more with us with evidence and answers. But there's some young person out there and they're struggling in their classes because it seems like what they're learning in school in eighth grade ninth grade biology or chemistry seems to be contradicting the genesis account or parents that are trying to sort it out with their kids how you know what they're learning in the sciences how does that fit with the biblical account of creation here what advice? would you give them?
2: Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, both in the probability analysis, the math, the science, that creation makes the most sense. A lot of the lessons in in school is trying to take God out of everything. And I think instead we should do the opposite. We should put God in everything. So I think if we try to keep that our focus, then we can quickly sift through a lot of these theories and ideas.
1: Yeah, I think education, especially on the university campus, is the exchange of great ideas. And all the theories should be looked at and debated over. Unfortunately, I don't see intelligent design is an idea that's tolerated in the public schools or the university campuses. Uh, is that what you see there at the public university and the uh, system of education that you went through there at the university?
2: Yeah, we don't really talk about the Big Bang or intelligent design or any of these other ideas or principles. It was more of like the concepts or principles after the universe already exists. So we didn't really talk too much about the origin. So I didn't have any harder questions for the professors.
1: Yeah, well, in all your studies, really, was there anything in the sciences that really challenged or rattled your faith?
2: Nothing too much, except maybe the fact that the universe is extremely old. I think that from the creation account, if you take it literally 24-hour days, and if you look at the historical record of different things, like in First Kings 6, one, it tells us how many years King Solomon started building that temple. And then you go back to like Abraham and Moses, and you connect all those dots and the genealogies, I think you'll get about 6,000 years or so. And so this is a topic that I'm kind of struggling with trying to figure out how does the science, the history of the world, does it match or not match the biblical account. And so I have an idea of how you can put it all together from historical account. But for the math component, it's a little bit tricky. So for example, if you looked at the Hawaiian Islands, they move four and a half inches northwest every single year. And we know that there's a new island being born right now called Loihi. I think it's south or southeast of Hawaii Island. And so you would say, from just a naturalist perspective, if we go backwards in time, we can figure out how old Oahu is, how old Kauai is, how old Niihau is, because we know the distance between the Hawaiian Islands and that hotspot. And then you would say, well, it has to be millions of years old or whatever. But if there was a big flood that covered the whole world, that might accelerate the birth of the islands. And so I don't know if there's something similar to the universe that has a universe-sized event where you can say that maybe there wasn't a Big Bang, but instead everything was just created super big. Like, what's the origin point of the cosmic background radiation, for example? Can we go backward in time to find that? I don't know. And so I don't know if there's a good universe-scale event that kind of says you can have something like this. So the universe isn't millions or billions of years old. That's something that I'm trying to figure out. So I don't know the answer to that one.
1: Yeah, so you can see at Evidence and Answers uh, we have various views on the age of the Earth. So as you heard, Evan holds to a young Earth creationist position, and we have had guests such as Hugh Ross and Fuzz Rana and others who hold to an old Earth creationist position. So you can see that here at Evidence and Answers we have various views when it comes to the age of the Earth. It's a great debate to listen to as we look not only at the biblical text but the scientific evidence as well. Uh, You know, Evan, one last question. I think it's a popular theory now with Doctor Strange and the multiverse and all these movies coming out about a multiverse. And a lot of theories are saying, well, there are multiple universes out there, maybe millions, and ours happens to be the just right universe. Is that an explanation for not only the how our universe got here, but how it is that it seems so finely tuned, this multiverse theory.
2: Yeah, as far as I know, I haven't heard of any scientific evidence that supports the multiverse theory, but we have seen it in like Doctor Strange, even in Dragon Ball Super. Those of you who watched that anime or read the manga, there's even a Justice League movie that showed many different parallel universes, different kinds of Earths, and there's only one that had life on it. They wanted to destroy that one. This is the animated version. So yeah, so the concept or the idea is not foreign. I think it's been around for a while. But ultimately, we can conclude that our universe, our Earth, that sustains life is the best one, and intelligent design is still the best answer.
1: Yeah, I think the multiverse, as you said, there's really no evidence that there are multi universes out there. You got any idea how someone could prove that?
2: I don't know. It's going to be extremely difficult. Like, how would you be able to label a particle or someone from another universe? So, like, I mean, I have no idea. Because we have our own DNA. Can you figure out the DNA code of somebody else from another planet? I don't know. I think that's extremely difficult. One, because we don't know what their universe is like. We only know what ours is like. We only know what our constants of our universe are like. And so if their constants are different, then I don't know, it's going to be very difficult. I don't know if it's possible, at least not that I know of.
1: Yeah. And even if we could prove there are multiple universes there, you really haven't answered the question. You, to me, you've only pushed it one step back. What began all those universes? So you still haven't answered the question. You've only pushed it back one step. Do you see it that way?
2: Yeah, it's kind of like when Edison created the light bulb. He had many different trials, but he found only one that works. It took him a lot of time and energy and effort to find the right one to get that best solution. Another example is when Dr. Strange saw millions of possibilities of how they could beat Thanos, but he only saw, again, one. But even if there are all these other universes, it still doesn't answer those main questions of who created them, how they get there. So overall, I, I think at this point in time, the multiverse theory is like having a lot of light bulbs some work they turn on while others don't but again how did they get there who made them how many are there those questions still have to be answered it's definitely worth looking into i think it'd be a shame and we do ourselves a disservice to not take some time to look into theory even if we're a christian or not um i think the bible does have a lot of good explanation especially in genesis 1 and 2. i think it'd be worth a shot give it a chance
1: yes and Evan, you work with a lot of scientists, and of the top scientists in the world. Do you think the trend is moving towards intelligent design? The more and more we are studying the universe, or is there still a majority that would hold to a naturalist worldview and be very resistant or even hostile to the idea of intelligent design? What do you see in the scientific community where you're working?
2: We don't really talk about these issues that often. We talk mainly about this life and work right here. There's no big emphasis or debates actually about the origin of the universe. I mean, there might be seminars here and there, but there's no one who really challenges the ideas. It's just, here's information, ideas, and then it's up to you to figure out.
1: All right. So a young student going through the sciences there at the public university. Uh, What are some final words of exhortation that you can give to him or her?
2: Yeah, if they're a Christian, I would say that the university's tactic is they want to take God out of everything. So you just do the opposite. Just put God in everything. And I think that'll help you be rooted. If you're not a Christian and you're a young person going to the university, I would say you should challenge the ideas and say, hey, is there another solution, another idea? I think intelligent design is worth a shot. You should ask your professor, is this a good idea the math, finely tuned universe? And implies it might be a better option.
1: You've been listening to our interview with our new speaker on staff here, Evidence and Answers, Evan Kawamura. Evan receives his PhD in mechanical engineering at the University of Hawaii and he works with NASA. He's a researcher and he's one of our speakers here at Evidence and Answers. So if you want someone to come to your church to speak on the issues of faith and science, Evan is a great resource here in the state of Hawaii. And I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more from Evan as he continues to do research and write articles here for us here at Evidence and Answers. So Evan, we're glad that you're here on staff at Evidence and Answers and you're going to address these issues. And we look forward to having you more often here on the Evidence and Answers radio show.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like what you heard and would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study or even schedule an apologetics conference at your location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org and you may do so right there online.